and I'm ultra sleep deprived. Haven't felt this way in a while. I don't know if I really got any true sleep last night. I just barely got through the work day. But anyway, I do think there's a, I don't know if I'd call it a rising tide. I don't know if I'd call it a rising tide. But I have noticed more of a break from the the radical, now mainstream, progressive views. At least the way people are talking about things. You know, and, and people like to make predictions. You know, I saw at the end of last year, a month ago, you know, some pundits and people are like, oh, you know, this is... In 2024, we're going to see a shift away from wokeness. And I mean, I think that was inevitable. I mean, I think on one hand, on one hand, you know, the, the train has no brakes and it's just been speeding along and promoting and enforcing just such utterly ridiculous ideas that require a, a significant amount of devotion. And there's a lot of ideas where people can just kind of passively agree with them or support them. They don't really require, you know, they don't require you to twist your mind into knots. But some of the ideas being promoted that, you know, have picked up over the last decade, not just require you to twist your brain into knots in order to explain or defend them, but they also, I mean, my brain's not even working. I, I wish I could twist my brain in knots right now. My brain is just, my brain just doesn't even feel like it's on. Um, but, uh, you know, some of these, these ideas are required, you know, so much effort and devotion, but also unhappiness. That's one of the biggest factors. You know, because I can tell you that everybody I know just about, and, you know, I can find exceptions, but most of the people I've known who got deep into that stuff are not only unhappy, but openly and vocally unhappy. And I don't use happiness as a measuring stick. Like I, I don't think of myself as a happy person, but I don't think of myself as unhappy either. I've been unhappy, but I don't think of myself as unhappy at all in recent years. Despite you know some of the worst things, quote unquote, worst things happening to me. And bad things going on in the world. Um, you know, yet I, I, I can, I, I would not in any way be able to call myself unhappy. And I do experience like a joy and appreciation. You know, more than happiness, maybe like, you know, I'm content with just the state of things. Doesn't mean I'm content with, 100% content with my life or the world. But I, I'm fairly content with just the way things are and the way things happen as much as I can be. But, you know, what you what I've experienced with people who, you know, have just been devoted to progressivism is they're the people who are very openly anxious and depressed. They seem to almost worship that feeling. You know, it's something that afflicts a lot of people all types of different people, all, all people who think all kinds of different ways, but the level of devotion. And, and, you know, and part of that, it, 
it's masked behind this like we need to be open about mental health we need to be open about mental health but then that openness has become a song that they just sing all the time you know it's one thing to be candid and open that doesn't mean you have to just constantly talk about it and when you constantly talk about something like that and dwell on it you reinforce it like if you think and talk too much about your anxiety and depression, you reinforce it. Yeah, it, it's, it might be good sometimes to acknowledge it. I don't know that you need to make, I don't know that you need to make a, um, you know, a declaration. You know, I, I, I've known people, people I know in person who've made like Facebook posts and things over the years where they're like, it's like a coming out post where they're like, I'm just letting everybody know I have anxiety and depression. And you know, I'm not trying to trivialize those things. Obviously, those things kill people, not just through stress and misery, but you know, some people kill themselves because of those feelings. So I'm not trying to trivialize those things, although you can. Some, I mean, I think, I think you can. You can trivialize anything, you know, and, and why not? You should trivialize things and then do the opposite. You should do that to everything. You know, make, make something out to be a big deal and then the next moment make that same thing out to be trivial and make fun of it. Stretch it out. Work, work its muscles. Um, but yeah, there's the general unhappiness and like, like I said, people coming out and these are always liberal people. These are always progressive people because it's, you know, it's part of the, the progressive movement to be open about mental health. So it's, it's not a coincidence, but there are these coming out posts and I'm not trying to trivialize it. Um, when I say this, I'll trivialize it later, but when I say this, I'm not trying to trivialize it, which is, uh, you know, is is what is that that big of a deal? You know, yeah, it's something that's bothering you. But is this something you need to declare? Like, is this something you need to get off your chest? Is this is this like you need to get out of the closet? And to be honest, I just kind of assume people are anxious and depressed anyway. I just kind of assume someone is anxious and depressed unless I have confirmation otherwise. <laughs> so when someone comes out and it's like, I have anxiety and depression. And like anxiety is a funny one because like if, if you've experienced anxiety attacks and I have, I've gone through periods of anxiety, which not so coincidentally coincided with, co coincidentally coincided, not so coincidentally, coincidentally coincided with me making bad decisions and putting myself in situations that made me anxious, like just general circumstances, behavior that made me more anxious. Not to say I don't get anxious still. I'm coming out now. This is my, I have anxiety. Uh, but you know, it's, I don't know. It's just uh, that feeling. I hate having it, but you can kind of have fun with it too if, if you know you can um i've talked about this before like it's electricity like i'm actually i have that feeling right now 
I'm extremely sleep deprived. About an hour, half hour ago, I took just a baby hit of weed, a couple baby hits of weed, which doesn't make me mentally stoned. You know, it just, I just kind of feel it behind the eyes. But sometimes it does provoke this hour of anxiety when it hits me. And I'm actually having that right now. Some crazy shit has happened, like they fired one of my bosses. And uh, it works going well other than that, but they, they fired one of my bosses, and I won't get into it. Which is a huge shakeup. This is a very small company, and it's just a big shakeup. Um, and so I'm just kind of like, wow. And they're not replacing him, so it's it's just interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, it just it's being and being this sleep deprived, like actually being able to feel like that a part of my brain isn't working because that's what I'm feeling. I have kind of a dull headache. And I can actually feel that the, the front of my brain is just dull. It just feels completely dull. And I can actually physically feel it on the front of my head. So that's kind of giving me anxiety. In addition to the little, just enough of a weed hit a little while ago to provoke this. And I'm not enjoying this feeling. You know, I'm not enjoying this feeling. It's not like pleasurable. But I kind of like it because it's a very physical sensation. And when I talked about this before, the electricity of anxiety, I mentioned how I really first discovered this. I first came to a full realization about this, like when I started meditating pretty early on, how I was meditating in my old house at night, room completely dark. And I, I'm allergic to bees. And suddenly in the silence of my house late at night, I heard the very loud buzzing of a bee. And so I stopped meditating immediately and I went to the source of the noise and a giant, like seriously, the biggest bumblebee. And I don't know that I'm allergic to bumblebees. I just, if, it, if it's yellow and black and it flies, I don't know. I can't risk it. I'm allergic to one of them, all of them, some of them. I don't know. I'm not going to risk it. But I, the, the biggest bumblebee I ever saw was just sitting in my kitchen sink in the drain. And I have no idea how it got in. I was like, is that pipe exposed? Did it come up through the drain? It was sitting in the drain. Right in the middle of the drain, just buzzing. And because it was in the sink there, the buzzing was causing all, like, all this reverberation. And what's interesting is like sitting there meditating, and this is like right around the time I, I kind of got into the flow of what meditation is. The flow of what meditation is. But actually, I was like actually starting to experience, uh, you know, meditation. It, it wasn't just like the first time I did it. It was like just when, when things were starting to kind of happen with it or not happen. And suddenly to hear this like loud buzzing of a creature that could potentially kill me, my body just, I felt just extreme anxiety. And so what I did when I found the bee is I just turned the faucet on because the bee was sitting in the drain. So I just like, I don't know if I drowned it. I don't know if I just washed it away or both. 
but I just turned the faucet on and it washed away the bee. But it was just so strange that out of nowhere, like I didn't hear this thing buzzing around, flying around the house. I didn't hear it, the buzzing like coming up the drain, if it even came that way. I don't know if it can. I don't know how it would have gotten in there, but I didn't hear it coming at all. I just suddenly, it just start, started buzzing very loudly while sitting in my drain of my kitchen sink. Um, but you know, so it, after I washed it away, it was over and I, I sat back down and started meditating again. And what's interesting is I was able to completely separate the mental experience of anxiety from the physical. And I was only feeling physical anxiety. And you feel it in your arms, you feel it in your torso. That's what's interesting about it. You know, it's something that you feel, for me it's arms and torso for some reason, your ribs. Sometimes your back, just that whole section of your body, which is strange. Arms in particular though, and I, I sat there and I'd completely gotten rid of the anxiety over the bee. The problem was gone. I wasn't worried about it. I wasn't gonna think about it. And so I just sat there fully experiencing the physical sensation of anxiety with no fear or emotion attached to it. None of the usual things you're thinking. And it really just felt like electricity, like shooting up and down my arms. And I know when I have that, I pace. I mean, I pace normally. Like when I'm doing this show, I just walk around the house pacing. You know, I used to sit there with a microphone. It's been a long time since I did that. I just walk around talking into my phone, pacing. But when, I'm, when I have that electricity, it's very difficult for me to sit down. It's very difficult for me to, you know, immerse myself in anything, to get anything done. So what I often do is I pace. And so it is like this energy. And you can do something with that. Not always. Sometimes you are just paralyzed, but you can actually do something with, with that. If you're able to separate the mental side of it from the physical, you can do something with the physical energy. It's difficult. It's, it's a very wild, untamed energy. But if you even just start thinking about it that way, you have a bit more control. It doesn't mean that it's gonna solve your problems. It doesn't mean that it's gonna go away. It doesn't mean that you won't have some thoughts too. But if you can really isolate the physical side of it it's just an interesting phenomenon and it's a source of energy. But uh, anyway, I was like, I was talking about how other people come out as anxious. But no, I, I wouldn't say I have any kind of anxiety disorder. I'm just saying it's something we all experience. And uh, I guess the weird thing about like people who, who come out and are like, I have anxiety. My name's Eric and I have anxiety. Like pretty much like, hey, my name's, my name's Mike and I'm gay. You know, it's the same approach, like this coming out. But when people do that, it's like they, they may be getting like mental health treatment. They might be taking medication. But you don't ever really hear anybody try to do anything with it. They just come out as anxious clinically anxious if they are even are diagnosed like many of these people that aren't like many people who like proclaim their anxiety disorder 
haven't actually been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. And part of the problem is that they spend so much time thinking about it. And they spend so much time focusing on things that make them anxious. And unhappy. And that goes back to where I, you know, spiral off into talking about my own anxiety. But um, one of the reasons I believe that there might be, uh, you know, some, some change going on with this is that you can only promote something that is supremely unhappy for that, you know, for so long. You know, it, I mean, it can go on for a very long time. But, you know, there are a lot of people, especially today, when there are so many options available. So many different ways to express yourself and see other people express themselves and so many different things to watch and consume and listen to. People have a lot of options. And so if a certain way of thinking is just constantly dwelling on misery and promoting misery and putting a lot of pressure on you too. Like if you're not miserable, you're a bad person because you should care about this thing that makes you miserable and care about it all the time and be around other people who are equally miserable and be part of this worldview that says like if you don't do exactly what I'm doing if you're not as miserable as me you're a bad person, you're terrible, you're the worst we've got to excommunicate you you know, we've got to uh, get rid of you you know, in today's world, I, there's a lot of people who are eventually going to be like, you know what, like, I don't feel like this is making the change I thought it did. I mean, not even that they think this. It's, I think it's more, I, I, I don't know, I think it's more basic. But, you know, I think what it comes down to is like, this isn't really affecting the change I, I think it does. You know, this isn't making me happier. This isn't making anyone happier. Um... I can't be that devoted to all this and it demands constant devotion and it just uh, isn't isn't enjoyable at all eventually that's going to turn some people away and what I've noticed lately is I've noticed more people that I I know personally and just the culture as a whole Making the sorts of uh, comments and jokes that even just a year ago or six months ago, definitely two or three years ago, would have upset people, but not just upset people, but would th things that people would have censored, uh, you know, things people, people have said things that I think they otherwise would have censored not that long ago. And granted, I know a lot of people who don't censor themselves, but certain people who I think were more caught up with the, with the progressive ideas not that long ago, I've just noticed them loosening up. And, and that's actually more of what it is. It's not that they're like turning against it. I just, I've noticed them kind of loosening up a little. Like a couple people I know as well as... Uh, on like shows I listen to and things, I've noticed people saying the word gay again. Like, that's gay. That's gay, dude. 
I've noticed that people have kind of loosened up on that one again. You know, I've noticed people like, you know, kind of acknowledging some things they wouldn't otherwise acknowledge or making jokes they wouldn't. Having conversations they wouldn't. Not to a crazy degree, because, I mean, this... You know, these these progressive views have been institutionalized. They've been made mainstream. They're still everywhere. But I, I do see people loosening up a little bit. Not, like, challenging it. Not going in the complete opposite direction. You know, I'm not seeing people who are like, Oh, I'm so sick of this woke. I was a progressive yesterday, but now I'm all in for Trump's felt. You know, I'm not seeing anybody do that, really. Just a loosening up. And I don't know if it's just something I've, I've seen lately, and it'll continue this way, but, you know, I, for one, I, I think it makes people laugh. And it makes people feel better to talk about some of these things that you're typically not supposed to say or talk about. You know, another example of that, I just saw on the internet that comedian Shane Gillis is going to be on Saturday Night Live. And he first, his name, you know, he'd been doing comedy for a while, but his first, his, his name first got out there a few years back because he was going to be hired as a new SNL cast member, which is, I don't know, kind of difficult for me to imagine. I know he does skits and stuff, but it's a strange one. But he was going to be hired as a new Saturday Night Live cast member. And then it came out that he had done, you know, just like a jokey impression of an Asian accent on his podcast. And so they terminated him. And there was this backlash against him. But I saw just today that Saturday Night Live is going to have him as the host. He's going to be the guest host because he's gotten very big. And, you know, that, that speaks volumes right there. You know, this guy who the show was going to hire and then canceled because he, you know, did something just mild, considered mildly offensive, did an impression of a foreign accent. You know, this guy who the show wasn't even willing to have on because of that, wasn't even willing to hire, is now going to host the show. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know if that plays into what I'm talking about, but I think we'll start to see more things like that. I think we'll start to see more loosening up. And whenever that kind of thing happens, like people like me who never bought into that stuff who, you know, was annoyed and bothered by it. I mean, I find the humor in it, too. But it, it, it was an annoying bother, no question about it. But people like me, like, it'd be very easy to, like, see the loosening up and be like, oh, so now you're loosening up about it? You self-censored for years. You, you know, uh, you might even have given me shit about something I said. But I, uh, I don't know, you know, so it's like when you see people loosen up, it's like there's a part of you that always wants to be like, be mad at them, but there's no point. 
Because what it is, it's like fair weather football fans. You know, there's uh, the idea of you know fair weather fans, where it's like when a team's doing well, there's a certain number of fans, people who live in the same city the team is based in, that support the team, buy the jersey, talk about it, and then when the team's not doing so well, or they're you know it's, they're doing mediocre. Most of those people are nowhere to be seen. And there's people who get mad at that. They're like, I hate Fairweather fans. I've been a fan since I was in the womb. And I saw that happen, you know, a lot with the Seahawks when they won the Super Bowl. You know, that period, it was just blue and green citywide everywhere in Washington. Everybody was wearing Seahawks gear. Everybody was talking about the Seahawks all the time. People were watching every game. They knew the name of every player. They knew the game. They knew the name of every assistant coach. And you know that lasted for a few years, and then Seahawks, you know, just kind of became more average. And of course, a lot of that disappeared. And you know, there's always those people. I remember at a time when the Seahawks were doing well, they were like, "Oh man, I'm a true fan." There's all these fair weather fans. And I remember thinking at the time, I was like, you know what? Uh, I don't mind the Fairweather fans. It's kind of cool as a lifelong Seahawks fan, as a true Seahawks fan. It's kind of cool that right now I just have this common ground with everybody. I can just see a stranger in the grocery store and talk about the Seahawks. It doesn't matter that in five years that they won't be paying any attention. It's just kind of cool. There's this camaraderie. And I don't blame people. Like, most people have other stuff going on. You know, it's, and it's only fun, really, when your football team's doing well. And you feed off the excitement of others. You feed off the success. It's just how it is. It's cool to be a devoted, lifelong fan. But that's more of a spiritual thing. You know, because it's like, hey, don't bite me, man. Batty, don't bite. Uh... You know, there's something spiritual about that because, like, you go into it knowing you will be tormented, knowing you'll be anxious, and that you have to have faith in this team, even if you know they're abysmal and they're losing all their games. Most people don't watch sports for that reason. Most people watch it for entertainment. And so, when your local team's doing well, getting these messages. Um, but uh, I just need to put this on not vibrate uh, when your team's doing well like you want to watch them and uh, you know so you know my attitude toward fair weather fans is like is the same way and this is a fair weather thing too you know most people when it comes to you know the wider culture and, and all that you know they're, they're pretty fair weather too most people aren't that hardcore they might seem like it when they're going along with something because that's what we've seen with progressivism, where everybody who's promoting these ideas and devoted to it seems hardcore because the general attitude is hardcore, for lack of a better word, hardcore. Um, but really, most people aren't. Most people are fair weather about it. And after enough time, like when the momentum kind of plateaus... And, it, and people are just continuing to be unhappy and continuing to have to entertain some bizarre ideas. Not to say all the ideas are bizarre, but some of the ideas are just completely bizarre and newly bizarre. 
you know, a lot of people are going to be fair weather and they're going to be kind of like, yeah, you know what? I kind of want to talk and laugh about things that just a few years ago, just 10 years ago, I could. And you know what? Those things aren't as damaging as they're made out to be. And with something like Saturday Night Live, I mean, I they're not fair weather. They are... There's something else. You know, they're, they're opportunists. You know, there's a difference between opportunists and fair weather people. Like a fair weather person is just going to be kind of like, oh, the wind's blowing this way? Okay, I'm, I'm going this way. And I don't think we should really resent that. I mean, I'm fair weather about many things. Like even though I have things I care deeply about, things that I have total faith in, devotion to, it's like I'm, I'm pretty fair weather about it some things that other people care about a lot. You know, you can be a, a true believer in one thing and a fair-weather fan of another thing. You have to be. Um, so, like, you know, fair-weather people don't bother me. Opportunists are different. Like, there are some people who, you know, ride the cultural wave and find opportunities to exploit it for their own benefit. And so, of course, there, there are currently people, but there, there will probably be more people. If this continues in this direction, there will probably be more people who are opportunists who come out and who are like, yeah, I hated that stuff all along. Like, I'm going to be offensive again. They're going to kind of try to take it. If things do loosen up, I mean, I'm not, who knows if, if this is really happening or if I'm just kind of, you know, I have some sort of uh, bias based on a few things I saw recently. But if things kind of continue this way, um, you know, you, you will have people who are like, you know, oh, things are loosening up. Well, the tide is kind of shifting in a different direction. I'm going to exploit that now. Whereas they were exploiting it from the other side before. An opportunist like that is very different from someone who's just fair weather. They're just kind of like, oh, the conversation's going in this direction now. The party's moved over here. And there's the fact that, you know, in our climate now, like, I don't even know that it's fair to call a lot of people fair weather. Fair to call a lot of people fair weather. I don't know if it's fair weather to call a lot of people fair weather. Um, because, you know, because of all the, the self-censorship, the peer censorship, institutional censorship, you know, because of all that, it's hard to, to, to know what someone might have thought all along. You know, there's a lot of people who have censored themselves or gone along with things they didn't believe because, you know, your career depended on it. You, you have friendships that depended on it. I mean, I remember like when this stuff was first picking up, you know, a decade ago, not going along with it, but, you know, kind of ostensibly appearing more neutral. And the only reason for that was because, like, I didn't want to damage relationships I had. I didn't want to damage friendships. Not, and I, I would say not damage them. Like, I, I just, you know, didn't really want to. I felt that some of these these friendships and relationships were more valuable than whether we agreed or disagreed about certain things. So I just treated it kind of like a non-issue, and you know, presented myself neutrally. 
And I still do that. But it wasn't self-censorship. It was more just kind of, uh, you know, the, you got to do this. And But then I realized, like, the those people, I don't care about at all. Well, I care about them, but I, I don't... The friendship is weakened by that. You know, the relationship is weakened by that. And not just that, but... Those people, in in my experience, in my personal life, became more and more audacious about their beliefs. Like while I kind of was like, well, I'm just I'm just going to rest on neutral ground and not really engage it one way or the other. And it seemed like the more I did that, the more audacious many people became. And I'm sure people have had this experience with Republicans and whoever you know on that side. But my experience is with progressives, and I'm talking about my experience. My experience. And I just found that the, a lot of the progressives I knew became more and more audacious about their beliefs, more in-your-face about it. And it became a more common talking point. Like some people that I used to hang out with and drink every week with, like they were always libs and way more libbed out you know, than anybody I knew. But it, it, it was plenty of other stuff to talk about. And they knew that I had my own beliefs. And it just, you know, it was just what it, what it was. We didn't really deal with it. I didn't need to. You know, you can have friendships and relationships based on other things, it turns out. But then, you know, around 2016, I would say, is when it really kind of came to a head. I could feel it building. But, like, around 2016, it was just, oh, no, that's every conversation, that's how they start conversations. They sit down next to you and they start talking about that stuff with even more audacity than before. You know, so I had to think to myself, I was like, you know, this whole, you know, just kind of trying to maintain neutrality thing, it's not being respected. Like what I'm doing is not being respected if you're just throwing this shit and it's just a terrible conversation. Just throwing this shit at my face and it's just a terrible conversation. And I'm, I'm sick of showing all this restraint. Um, so that was a big factor for me. But I, I never went along with it really. Maybe, maybe a few times. I mean, no, I, I mean, if I'm being honest, I definitely said some things over the years just to kind of keep the peace with people I knew. But I, I certainly, I, no, I, I never got into it in any way. But a lot of people had to, a lot of people did, a lot of people went further. Like when their libbed out friend said something, even if they didn't agree with it, they were like, yeah. And a big part of that was, you know, just they want to maintain their social standing. Go along with things at work. You know, Major League Baseball players having to wear a rainbow pin for pride. Oh, you got to do this. If you want to play professional baseball, like is your career... 
worth risking over a, a rainbow pin? You shouldn't even be put in that position, but a lot of players have asked, like, is, is my career worth risking over a rainbow pin? Is my livelihood, is my social standing, is it worth risking that just because I don't want to say X? Because I don't want to say this? Because I don't want to go along with this? Again, you shouldn't even be put in that position. But a lot of people that do that, and then a lot of people are in relationships where, you know, one person is very politicized. And the, the value of the relationship isn't politics. It isn't soci- social politics. So you kind of just go along with it. Try to keep the peace. And so that's a part of it too. I mean, there's a lot of guys who went along with that shit just so they wouldn't be single. Like the number of men I know and the number of men I see is just astronomical of men who otherwise would never believe in that shit who are just like, I got to say this to have a girlfriend. I got to go along with this to have a girlfriend. I mentioned this on here, but one of my friends, one of my good friends, like one of his childhood friends during summer 2020, like, you know, he he had spent like the first part of Coronavirus, like calling my friend and, you know, ranting about all the shit that was bothering us. But then his girlfriend was like, we got to go to a BLM rally. And then he, he like didn't want to, but he was like, I got to because she wants to. It's like taking her to the movies. Oh, like, I don't want to go see this rom-com. But my girlfriend really wants to see it, so I got to go. That's the kind of vibe it was. Like, oh, my girlfriend really wants to go to the, the BLM protest. I don't really want to, but I got to go. So this guy did that. And then my friend talked to him a short time later and his friend was all of a sudden like all in on it. Like, no, 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 like this is important. Like blah, 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 blah. So it's like he really just got sucked into it to humor his girlfriend. And then just now he had to go along with it. And probably to save his sanity, started believing in it. Huge number of situations like that. I mean, I can relate in my own way. Well, I never had to do anything like that. I had girlfriends back in, you know, early, mid-2000s who believed all that stuff and knew I didn't. But I still had to kind of go along with some things in conversation that I otherwise wouldn't. Just because, like, eh, this doesn't need to ruin anything. But the number of guys who got who gone even deeper into it, and I'm not I'm not just talking about the guys who like pretend to be male feminists in a manipulative, predatory way. I'm just talking about ordinary, wholesome guys, normal guys who are just like, yeah, you know, I'm I'm gonna t- take the path of least resistance and just go along with it. Tons of them. 
Because the idea is, is like, oh, it's not worth ruining something that's otherwise important to me or good, or it's not worth being single just to like, just for this. The issue is just that it doesn't stop there. Like if your girlfriend wants to go see a rom-com and you go see it, it stops there. You humored her, maybe even chuckled. Maybe in the theater you even chuckled. She was happy that you chuckled. There was a funny scene. But after you leave the movies, it's over. But with this other stuff, with this, this social politics, you know, once you humor it, it doesn't end there. And then there's a high likelihood, too, like, speaking romantically, that that person who's influencing you to do that stuff or think that stuff is just a fair-weather person themselves. Like, she might not even really believe in that stuff, but it's just that's what her peer group is talking about. Like, when she logs on to social media, her friends are posting infographics about whatever the, the latest current event is. The knitting circle is all talking about it. So it's like, she might not even be a true believer herself and probably isn't. And so look at what look at what you end up with. You end up with like someone who who only kind of follows something for fair weather reasons and then other people go along with them just to keep the peace. So it's like fair weather on top of fair weather. Multiple fair weather layers. And that's not sustainable. You can't keep people like that forever. You know, you can't keep people there's no foundation. So I don't know, you know, there's a part, you know, I think whenever there's a change, and like I said, I'm not calling it now. I'm just saying, like, I think there are some signs. Um, but whenever, you know, there's a change like that, like if things do loosen up, and I think that's the, I keep going back to that way of saying it, because I think that's going to be the best explanation for what it is. There's going to be a loosening up. And when things do loosen up, it's very easy not just to be like, to be mad at the people who have finally loosened up, because who knows what they were thinking? Who knows why they were going along with it and now they're not? You could call them sheep. Oh, you're just sheep. You just you're just a bunch of sheep. You know, you could call them that, and some of them are probably, but some of them are just like, hey, you know, hey. So you can either like demonize them, and be like, where were you five years ago? Or like, why did you try to shame me for saying X five years ago? Or you could just be like, okay, hey. Now I'm gonna enjoy the looseness again. Thanks for joining me in it. Thanks for joining me in the loose world again. Kind of like fairweather football fans, like, oh hey, you care? Oh, you're watching the game again. Oh hey, you're wearing blue and green on Friday again. You're participating in Blue Friday to show support for the Seahawks this weekend. Oh hey, you weren't doing that two years ago, but hey, we can talk. 
Someone who only cares about the football team when it's doing well. Oh, hey, well, at least at least we can talk about football again. Oh, I have someone I can talk to about football again. Cool. What's interesting about the social politics, though, of the last few years, the culture, is that so much of this has been just built into people. Like, so much of this has just been constantly drilled into someone's head. Because what's interesting about the progressive ideas the ones that have become popularized just in recent years, not the ones that have been going on forever, but the ones that have been popularized in recent years, which, you know, are the most incendiary ones. Uh, the thing about those is, like, they really have to be hammered on constantly. You know, there are so many ideas that, like, you just have to hear them once in a while or once, and you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense, and you don't forget it. It's logical. You understand it. Someone introduces you to an idea. Even if it has to be explained a little bit. Once you get it, you just get it. You don't need to revisit it all the time. You know, somebody teaches you how to do something. They teach you a skill. And then like once you know how to do it, that's it. But many of these progressive ideas, it's like they have to be just, you have to be continually reminded, you have to have it continually explained and analyzed. And a lot of the ways that progressives talk amongst themselves is this constant internal analysis. They're constantly dissecting these ideas that should just be second nature to them at this point. Like, why do you need to talk about those things so much? You know, it's annoying when you try to force them on other people and talk to other people who don't agree about those things. But at least it at least makes sense to do that. Like, because these people are trying to convince other people to go along with them, it does make sense in that way. Like, it doesn't work. I mean, it works through sheer force when censorship and immense pressure and institu- institutionalization is at play. But it doesn't actually work. It doesn't actually convince people deep down. But it, there's at least a logic to it where hammering on an idea to like a non-believer, you're at least trying to convert them. So you're explaining it and pushing it over and over again. But what's weird with, with progressivism, and, and this is no doubt true for any belief, but it's very observable right now with progressivism is that there's this they're doing that internally all the time too there's just all of this internal hammering and it's like shouldn't this just be second nature how much more is there to dissect and that tells you something about it the fact that this, this has to be hammered home so much tells you that like this you know, even within it has to be forced. It's not just that it's forced onto other people on the outside. This is something that has to be continually forced and reminded, and it must demand your devotion all the time, even if you already believe it. And so those sorts of, there's going to be, there's true believers, there's people who have been truly brainwashed or just latched onto it for whatever reason. And that'll be interesting. If things do loosen up, that will be interesting because those people have been very influential in recent years. 
they've had a taste of power that they otherwise never would have had, never have had. And so if, if the world loosens up around them, it'll be really interesting to see what they start screaming. Because they're not very charismatic. They're not very convincing. But through numbers and force, they've managed to influence things. So without numbers and force, and there still will be numbers, there still will be force, but without the level of numbers and force, uh, they will have a much different experience. And, you know, there's no reason, if you live in the Western world, there's almost no reason why you shouldn't enjoy yourself. Not like decadence, not hedonism. And you can do that too, but... You know, there's no reason, though, like, why you shouldn't be able to find some sort of appreciation. Like, if you live in America, you know, and as long as your life is an absolute hell, and it is absolute hell for some people, but as long as your life is an absolute hell, there's no reason that you shouldn't appreciate life. Like, you expect something better than this? Not to say this is the best. Not to say this is perfect. It's certainly not perfect. But you're demanding something better than this? Really? You, you really... You refuse to appreciate life until you get something better than this? You're insane. You have every opportunity to appreciate life as it is right now. Yeah, you have stressful things going on. You have worries. Practical things. I still worry about practical things all the time. But in terms of just life as a whole, like life includes those worries, life includes those stresses. But when you actually look at the life that we live here, how could you not find some appreciation? In it? So demanding something better, it's one thing to want something better, but demanding it and insisting on being miserable until you get that you know it's utopianism it's insane um, and the more people that just find a general appreciation for life honestly solves a lot of these issues you know because it goes back to the, the, the old idea of like Oh, something bad is happening in the world. Something bad is happening somewhere. I better make sure that I'm unhappy because of that. Because if I don't make myself unhappy thinking about that bad thing happening somewhere, well, I'm not a good person. Whereas it's like, if there's, ba if, if there's something bad happening somewhere, yeah, if you can influence or change that to be good, that's great. But I, the best thing you could do, like the greatest tribute to life, to the phenomenon of life in that situation is to enjoy your life because you can. Kids are starving in uh, this country. Oh, I better make myself miserable to show my solidarity. It's like, no, if I, if I was starving... 
I would love the idea of someone somewhere else in the world who wasn't starving, just enjoying their life. Like, oh, hey, enjoy that while you have it. Enjoy that because you have it. You know, don't be excessive, but enjoy that. That's a better tribute to me than making yourself miserable when you have what I don't have. If you have what I don't have and you're making yourself miserable, like, that sucks. Because if I had that thing, I wouldn't be doing what you're doing. Just, uh, I think another sign that something's happening is the Israel-Gaza thing. I haven't talked about it on here, I don't think. I haven't had a reason to. I don't, I really don't, you know, obviously we all think about the Middle East. Middle East is a topic all the time, but I don't really invest in the Middle East. I can't afford to. My well-being can't afford to be invested in the Middle East. Just constant warfare throughout all recorded history. Desert, like think about that. Just, Just think about it objectively for a second. Like, oh, there's been desert warfare going on for eons in all of recorded time and throughout my entire life which might as well be, you know, all of recorded time for me, it is. But for eons, long before I existed, long before anybody, you know, in in my family existed, even if you trace my genealogical tree, this has been going on long before anybody was around. And it's still going on. Endless desert warfare. You know what I'm going to obsess about? You know it's going to impact my mood? Because I can tell you, if... And, and it's one thing, like, I, I mean, I understand if you're Jewish. And, and I mean, I understand, too, if, if you support Israel or, you know, or, or have thoughts about Palestine, support Palestine, I guess. But, like, I understand, like, if you have an opinion and you care... But the idea of just like the average person being like, oh, you know, it's going to dictate my emotions. The latest development in the endless desert warfare of the Middle East. Because I can guarantee you, like, the visual of that alone, the aesthetics of that alone mean you're going to be unhappy. There's no bright spot there. Nothing about that will ever make you feel okay. That's just my take. And, uh, you know, so for me personally, it's not callousness. It's just I, I can't afford to invest my mind in that. But many people do. And it's been interesting since Israel was attacked to see a kind of a, a crack develop in, among progressives. And a good example of that is this girl I used to hang out with who's a friend of mine. Still consider her a friend, just haven't talked to her or seen her in years. But she's Jewish and has relatives in Israel. And since like 2011, I've known her since 2011. And since then, she's always been like one of the most vocally 
radical far leftists I've known. Like our our friendship wasn't based on that at all, obviously. But uh, you know, she's been one of the most radical. Like all the ideas that have become popularized, like the last few years, she was talking about those. You know, twelve years ago, thirteen years ago. She's a true believer in that stuff. And it's interesting, though, because like I'll, I'll get on Instagram and I see that she posts like stories, multiple like Instagram stories every day. And they're mostly like very pro-Israel, you know, and not just pro-Israel. They're like rebuttals to fellow progressives who are pro-Palestine. And, you know, because there was, there was a kind of a, a wave that hit where progressives who chose the pro-Palestinian side were like saying that, oh, you know, it, there's no proof that Israeli women were raped by the Muslims. There's no proof that the, the Muslims did this. And as some people pointed out, like rightfully, thankfully they do it so I don't have to, but as some people pointed out, it's funny that a group of people, you know, far-left progressives who've spent many years saying like believe all women you know pointing out like the rampant sexual abuse in our world are then minimizing if not denying evidence of sexual abuse and rape when you know Hamas 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 attacked Israel and so like this girl I know is like calling people out like that like a lot of like these posts I've seen from her she's really upset with her fellow progressives not enough to break the spell. Like, that's something I've learned is that for the true believers, like, that moment of dissonance isn't enough to break the spell. But it is a crack. It is something that we really haven't seen much of. And so this Israel-Gaza thing has created a, a stronger dividing line among progressives than I've seen for a while. Who knows if it'll hold up? Because like I said, like, it's not going to change the true believers. But all of a sudden, like, people like this girl, and, like, she happens to be Jewish, have Israeli relatives. But she's like, what the fuck? Like, all these people that all my friends are saying this crazy shit about my people. All the all my friends, all these friends I have, you know, are... Uh, have these outrageous views, these outrageous pro-Palestine views. What the fuck? So that creates some dissonance. Like, it might not break the spell, but it creates a dissonance. You know, there are some people who have kind of a... a, a light bulb moment or just something lights up in their brain when they experience that. Because, like, what this girl doesn't realize is that, like, what she's seeing from the pro-Palestinian friends she has, the sort of outrageous things they're saying, that's what many of us have seen, you know, throughout all of the progressive... Every time there's a progressive fixation, because, you know, it changes every few months. There's always a new fixation. And that's what we've seen of progressives the whole time. Like the way she's feeling about these pro-Palestinian people, it's like, that's how many of us have felt like at everything you were saying, at everything else progressives have been saying.
but like someone like her isn't is not going to have that is isn't going to wake up from that. It's just going to be like, oh wow, suddenly they're saying this fucked up stuff about Israel. I don't agree with that. I'm. These are my people. That's not. That's not what's actually happening. Um. You know, whereas some people, though, it's like that would be an eye-opening moment where they might, because and this has happened to people where it's like they something like that does happen. Like they have this moment of dissonance and a crack forms, and suddenly they look back at everything and are like, "Wow, yeah, all that, all of that was just like this." Because that's what I see as someone who's not invested in the Middle East, not invested in the Middle East, someone who's not invested in the Middle East. I look at what's going on and I'm like, oh yeah, this is just like all that other stuff. And what's interesting is this, it's the same exact people. You know, I, I didn't use Instagram for like six months. I think, no, it was three. I think it was, in, I don't know, sometime a year or two ago. I didn't even make a conscious decision. I just stopped looking at it. I didn't check it for three months. It wasn't some sort of sabbat. I'm taking a hiatus. Hello, everybody. I am taking a hiatus from Instagram. I didn't do any shit like that. I didn't even think that. I just stopped checking it. There's no reason or anything. I just didn't check it for three months. Um, but lately, I would say in the last month or two, I've been checking it a lot more. And I really like to check the stories because those are these like fleeting, these fleeting little things. And people use those way more. People like to use the stories way more than they do posts for some reason. I'm a post guy. I am a post guy more than anything. But, uh, you know, with, uh, with these Instagram stories... Like, I'll, I've been checking them more lately, probably the last two or three months. And what's interesting is, like, the same exact people, all of them women, just about, most of them, I would say nine-tenths, who are constantly engaged in whatever the current social issue is, the current political issue, the current this... And it's not even a general interest in politics. It's it's never like a mix of different things. It's always like whatever the this is. Whatever the latest this is, is all they're talking about. And it's the same exact women, and they're all millennials. I'm not connected to any Zoomers on there. But it's all millennial women that I know personally, that I've met through, that I've met in person. These aren't just random strangers on the internet. Some of them are people I worked with. Some of them are people I'm friends with, that I was friends with. Some of them are acquaintances. Some of them are like, like, I, like one of them is my, an ex-girlfriend's roommate who, you know, you just, no reason to be connected to her on there. Didn't really know her very well, even back then. But I, I have this window into her mind, I guess, permanently through Instagram. But it's it's this group of women, and like during summer to during when coronavirus started, it was all coronavirus stuff. 
A lot of infographics. They, they all, girls love infographics. They love easily shareable infographics that they can post on their stories. They love them. To an exponential degree more than men. And so whatever the, you know, the, the latest of this is. And then, you know, I, I really noticed it when uh, summer 2020 happened with the riots and protests and everything. Because they were, I've never seen anything like that. All these other things they care about, it's similar, but I've never seen such madness as summer 2020. Where they were making videos of themselves talking, proselytizing about race. It was insane. I, their eyes looked weird. I talked about this back then, but their eyes looked weird. They would make these videos of themselves, and you could see the white above the iris of their eye, or whatever it's called. Whatever, like, the, the big part of your eye, the whites, you know, the, the white area, you could, like, see that above the, yeah, I think it's the iris, because there's the pupil and there's the iris. So you could see the white above the iris. Meaning that they had they, they would all have their eyes wide open and kind of looking down, like their head tilted back, but their eyes looking down. So that is true madness. And so I was seeing that constantly, and I was just fascinated. I was just like, they're really losing it. They're really obsessed and going off, and it was only about that topic. And they were very uh, audacious, accusatory, miserable. And this was constant every day for months. But those same people have continued. Like when I look now and I see, it's funny, I look at these Instagram stories and there's like, I would say like seven or eight women who every day it's this like, not just one, but like a series of infographics about how bad Israel is and Palestinian relief and this and that. And it's every day. And they were the, I'm not just generalizing, I'm actually saying these are the exact same individuals who were doing this during summer 2020. And they were all in lockstep. It was always the latest this. Like, they never throw you for a curveball. Because there's horrible things happening in all corners of the world. They never, like, throw a curveball, though, and are like, oh, yeah, here's this other thing that's happening, and here's my stance. It's always the latest this. They're always in lockstep with everybody else they know, and those people are only talking about that one this, too. And so it's amazing to see that. And these are also the same people who are like openly unhappy. And they blame the world for that. They really truly blame the world for that. And I'm just like, wow, these people like wake up and see infographics. They never create these themselves. It's never any kind of unique content. It's never their own words, ever. They just repost these infographics. So it's like they wake up and just comb through the infographics and share them. 
and they're always sharing them with people who already agree with them. You know, and that's stating the obvious. Everybody knows this, but it's they're sharing these infographics with people who are also sharing those infographics. And that's kind of what it's all about. You know, it's not really about convincing anybody. It's not like any of these people have an audience of people who don't agree with them. They're sharing these to other people who agree with them, and it's kind of like a membership card. You know, it's 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 kind of like, uh, you know, I mean, well, not kind of. It is just signaling your devotion. You know, might as well be quoting Bible verses to fellow Christians or something. It's just, you know, many people have made that observation. That this is a religious thing to them, but it is. Just because that's become an obvious, tired talking point. Oh, you know, progressivism's like religion. Just because that's become something you hear left and right doesn't mean it's not true. It's just you're not making a profound observation when you point it out now. But it, it is a religious-like devotion where, you know, you have to... It's like sharing prayer cards every morning or something. Um, and so we'll see what happens with that. It's just interesting that it's kind of created a divide where, like, if someone's Jewish or just, you know, you know, maybe sympathetic with Israel, you suddenly have this divide among those people. And I don't necessarily think anything will come of that. I don't think, like I said, I don't think that divide will really break the spell for many people. But it is a divide. And it, there might also be this general loosening of everything going on. And ultimately, that's good. You know, it's... I will not complain. Even, even though many of these people are fair weather... I won't complain if that's the direction things are going in, because that's what I want. There's a tendency, it's something in, in our psychology, when things aren't going the way we want, we complain, and we talk about how we want things to go the way we want, and then when they start going the way we want, we're like, oh no, we'll like, we find something else in that to complain about. Like, oh man, I, I sure wish all this wokeness would end. It does, and then it does end, and it's like, oh, all these people who are woke think they can just come hang out and talk about stuff again. And it's like, that's what you wanted. Oh, now they let us say that word. Oh, now they let us talk about this. And it's like, that's what you wanted. I mean, I understand the feeling of, like, rubbing someone's face in it. Like, we do have this vindictive side where you want to rub someone's face in something if you feel they were responsible for it. You you pissed on the carpet. I better rub your face into it like a dog. Show you. I want to make sure you learn from this. Like, if someone you knew was, you know, obnoxiously in your face about outrageous progressive politics... And then they just loosen up and let go of that. There's there's going to be a part of you that wants to be like, do you see where the mess you made? Look. 
I'm going to put your face in it. You know, I understand wanting to do that. And like something would feel good about that, but that's not the right thing to do in most cases. Maybe in the most egregious examples. Because I mean, there's some people that I would just never trust again. Not that I trust people that willingly to begin with, but there's, there's certainly some people over the last 10 years that if I had any trust for them, I will never trust them again. Not even on a personal level. It's not even a personal thing. It's that I don't trust your mind. I don't trust your mind. I don't trust your mind. Maybe I need to say it a fourth time. You know, your mind will go all kinds of places. You have no control over your mind. I'll never trust your mind again. Not Nothing personal. There's certainly people like that. There's certainly some public figures, for example, that rub their face in it. But I don't know that I can support that either. I don't know that I can support rubbing someone's face in it. You know, as a sports fan, as a Seahawks fan, I don't want to be that guy who, like, when the Seahawks start doing really well again and the Fairweather fans come back being like, oh, where were you? You know, you don't get to enjoy this because where were you when we were 8-8? Eight and eight? Where were you when we were 6-11? and 11? I'm not used to the new... They added an extra football game a couple years ago and I'm still not used to it. Where were you when uh, we weren't going to the playoffs? You know, you, you really don't want to be that person. I understand it. We all have that inside of us, that person who wants to like shame other people or call them out. But I don't believe in doing that on a personal level because I feel like people know. Deep down, they know. Like if someone supported some annoying, outrageous bullshit and then they came around later... Deep down, they know. Like, if someone's wronged you, like, if it's bad enough, maybe they deserve punishment. But, you know, if someone's wronged you and time has moved on and it's not affecting you anymore, there's no reason to punish them. You know, there's no reason to shame them. There's no reason to excommunicate them unless they're an opportunist. You know, if they're an opportunist, that's something different. And opportunism, it doesn't really matter what the opportunity is. It doesn't matter, like, what what an opportunist is doing. Like, opportunists should generally be shunned just because they're opportunists. Someone could be an opportunist about something that you agree with, and you should still shun them. I mean, I do that. Like, there's people who have some beliefs that I agree with, or a lot of beliefs that I agree with, but I see them as opportunists, so I don't want anything to do with it. I don't support them. You know, if you don't think that your own beliefs have a, have their own opportunists, oh, like, that's, what, that's what's funny. When you believe in something, when you're part of a cause, you have a tendency to operate as if, like, oh, there's no opportunists uh, in my group. It's like, no, you're, you're surrounded by them too. Every group has opportunists. Every idea has opportunists. You know, so you should recognize the ones who agree with you. You should be able to identify the ones who agree with you and don't trust them either. Because guess what? Those are the people who 
are going to be your biggest problem when they don't agree with you. But I think a big part of it, too, will be entertainment. Because, I mean, entertainment has just been abysmal. It has just been abysmal. You know, I mentioned on here watching Netflix for the first time in a very long time. Someone gave me a Netflix password. And I tried to watch, I think I watched about six different documentaries. And every single one, about halfway through, had a progressive twist. You know, about halfway through, every single one just suddenly, you know, you're watching a documentary about Abercrombie and Fitch. And halfway through, oh, here's the twist. Here's the progressive narrative that's going to dominate the rest of the documentary. And that happened with about five or six documentaries I tried to watch. I mean, it happens with just fiction, with with you know, scripted shows, movies. Everybody talks about it. Everybody points it out. But at some point, people really do get sick of it because they don't enjoy it. They don't actually enjoy it. So when entertainment does this for long enough, like ultimately people are going to want entertainment that they actually enjoy. You know, they can only pretend to like things for so long before they just want something they enjoy. And yeah, there's all kinds of different tastes, but what I'm talking about isn't taste. This is people pretending to enjoy things. And these things aren't very successful either. You know, some of these things aren't really that successful. It's not financially advantageous. It's not creatively, you know, it, it doesn't give someone artistic recognition. And it doesn't give someone, you know, it, it's not financially lucrative, not as financially lucrative as it could be. So it's a lose-lose. Because, like, the only reason you should make entertainment is to, you know, for artistic value and or financial benefits. Those are the only two reasons, really, to create entertainment. And if you can combine them both, well, that's amazing. But you should at least be going for one of those. And, like, I don't resent something for just wanting to make money. I don't resent something for that. That's not my interest, but... You know, at least that's, it is what it is. But when something is neither of those, one, how long can you keep making those things? And then two, if it's just, nobody actually likes it. Few people actually like it. You know, eventually the fair weather people are just going to be like, I want to go back to enjoying things again. I want to go back to like genuinely liking things again. So we'll see if that breaks open. I mean, I don't have much faith in entertainment as a whole. Because there isn't even a, a, a new and thriving underground or alternative of any sorts. You know, most of that is just echoes of stuff that isn't really relevant anymore. There's not a strong counterculture. Like, there is, there is a counterculture, but there isn't a strong artistic counterculture. And most of the counterculture is just based around opposing progressivism. 
It doesn't have a lot of substance of its own. Like some people have created a substance, but it doesn't have a lot of substance of its own. And counterculture has to. I mean, the reason underground music was such an amazing phenomenon is because it had a lot of, it was almost entirely its own substance. I don't see that now. And if someone knows of it, point, point me to it. There is a counterculture, and I pay attention to it, but it, it's mainly based around just opposing something else, which is unsustainable in the long term. It's not something that has its own real character, very little of it at least. So we're at a time where it's like, you know, yeah, like mainstream entertainment, not going to find much. But there's not really a great counterculture producing much either. There is kind of a choose your own adventure. But choosing your own adventure is tiring. But anyway, I'm not making any predictions. I'm just, I've had this feeling lately. I've seen little bits and pieces here and there, and I've experienced it too. Like, I've noticed it with coworkers. I mean, granted, the place I work at now is, is and never was into this stuff. You know, I work in retail, I work in sales. And this company does not go, you know, it's February, Black. we run sales, but they're never like, oh, for Black History Month, we're doing this. Oh, for Pride Month, we're promoting this. Nobody in the company touches that stuff. And so it, it is a more, it has been a more open conversation. Like, I'm careful about what I say just in general, because you have to be about anything. But, uh, you know, it is a, a looser environment than the offices I've worked in, which were the opposite. Like, working in offices in the 2010s, insane. Insane to watch just the wave of progressivism just dominate. You know, when I, when I first joined the workforce, when I was a young man, and I joined the workforce, like the first experience I had in an office, it was like no sexual harassment, no racism, no explicit homophobia. And then over the course of like five years, what that turned into. You know, like the, the old, like, like sexual harassment Explicit racism and homophobia. Yeah, like those were always unacceptable at work. But to watch like what became unacceptable, what became, what started to be talked about, the tone, just seeing that sweep over, it's kind of amazing. Like we at this job I had, we had a sensitivity training for the whole office because a, a trans girl had started working there. And she just looked like a girl, like just looked like a lesbian. And nobody told anybody that this person was trans. Like nobody, like there were a group of like true believers in that shit who worked in the office, of course. And none of them 
like nobody spread the word like oh hey this person's this but people like started to complain about it like people like the true believers like complained like oh the you know they're misgendering this person like, this actually happened and uh, as a result like the whole workplace had to have a sensitivity training over something that was just never stated and like every everybody except for like me and two other guys were just they were fair weather libs like there were maybe like three hardcore true believers a whole crew of fair weather libs who would have been more than happy to go along with the trans thing and then like two or three of us who were generally apolitical but we kind of became the de facto conservatives of the office and like we would have and we would have kept the peace like that's that's what we did anyway that's what i mean when i say like we were just kind of the the three apolitical guys but it was interesting that like this became a problem and nobody ever even addressed it like nobody nobody ever even um told anybody and so then we had to have this sensitivity training for the whole office. It wasn't like a punitive sensitivity training. It was just like a like an HR training course, basically. And what was funny is like the lady who taught it, she was like probably in her 50s. And she brought in all these written materials and gave this presentation. And it, it was so out of date. But it wouldn't have been out of date like four years earlier, three years earlier. You know, it might not even have been out of date, you know, a year or two earlier. But by this time, like all of those materials, because like what the lady talked about, she was like, oh, yeah, like this is sexual harassment. Like complimenting a, a female co-worker's boobs. She didn't say that, but that type of thing. Like making sexual advances to a co-worker. Repeatedly asking a female co-worker out on a date. You know, just like textbook, you know, workplace sexual harassment stuff. And then like race, like, oh, people come from different cultures and have different races. Be careful what you call them. Be careful what questions you ask. Like that was basically what the course was. Just the obvious stuff that like they were teaching us in the 90s. Stuff that like they taught us in elementary school in the early nineties, like that's what her presentation was, and it 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 wouldn't have been out of date like a year or two earlier. But by this time, like things had moved so quickly that like she didn't have a single note about trans issues. The things she said about race were not up to you know, 2010 standards. Like she was just, she was still riffing on like Martin Luther King Jr. Not the stuff that progressives were getting into, not the ideas progressives were getting into about race by that time. And someone even brought that up in the, the training, like this guy, this liberal guy that I worked with, but reasonable, you know, he raised his hand and he was like, Oh, you know, that's all well and good. But, um, like this didn't actually address any of the things that we're here we're here for 
And the lady didn't know what to say because, like, she wasn't up to date on it. Like, this lady's been teaching sensitivity trainings probably for years, but she didn't know what to say because, like, she wasn't, she, like, her manual hadn't been updated. Just kind of funny. Like, oh, her manual hadn't been updated. Because it required, at that point, it was requiring daily updates pretty much. And, uh, but anyway, like, so that's kind of what I'm used to. And then, so where I work now, it's like none of that. It is back to just like, yeah, don't like blatantly sexually harass your coworker. Don't use racial slurs. Don't be stupid. And, uh... But I, I've noticed, like, like both among coworkers and customers, there's a little more openness. Maybe it's just the people. But, you know, even... But it's, it's what I was saying about, like, even people who don't believe in that shit were still more careful. I was more careful. There was kind of a desire to keep the peace, to kind of, like, I, I mean, I, save your own hide. But I've noticed lately just people are a little more, they seem a little more free. And, uh, you know, it's probably not true in a million different places, but just in my experience lately, I feel like there's a little, things are loosening up a little more. And I think part of it too is a byproduct of how mainstream and institutional all of this is now and it has been for years but it's apparent now you know because this is one of those like very simple reactionary takes that i agree with but it's another one of those things that's been said so many times like the same as like oh progressivism's a religion it's it's on that level and that like it's it's stating the obvious at this point it's not a novel take but it doesn't mean it's not true because it is um, which is, uh, um, what is it? Let me, let me think my thoughts through here. Again, I'm, I need to go to bed. I didn't get any sleep last night. I'm stalling. Um, another one of those takes, what was I going to say? See, sometimes like I, I try to clarify my thoughts and then I lose the thought that I'm trying to clarify um, I don't remember what it was. It'll come to me. It was, it's like one of those obvious takes, like progressivism is like a religion. I don't know what it was. It was something like that. Just kind of an obvious take on this stuff. I knew exactly where I was going. Um... Oh, it was, uh, it was about um, institutionalization, this becoming more and more obviously mainstream, where the people I knew who were re really into what would now be called progressive ideas, I mean, I think they would always be called that, but the people I knew who were into this stuff in the 90s and 2000s, and maybe not the specific issues, because so many of these issues have mute, they're just freakish. They've mutated but people who are into these kind of things were largely trying to be different. Not to say they didn't believe some of these things, not to believe they're 
not to, not to even say some of these things don't have some truth to them. That's that's something I always try to point out. Not to say like some of these are baseless. Like what they're reacting to is is something. They might not be reacting how I think they should react, but it's like they are reacting to something. Like communists reacting to poverty. Like poverty is an issue that it is a problem. I don't blame someone for wanting to do something about it. To wanting to like, you know, create something to help people. Um, but, uh, you know, people who were attracted to that kind of thing were rebelling. You know, I think my teenage years were the Bush years. The Bush years. And it was very easy to rebel against Bush and Republicans at that time. You know, the Christian evangelical lobby was huge. Bush was in power, like post 9-11. You know, there was this patriotism, this nationalism, foreign wars, all kinds of deception. It was very easy to rebel against that. And... I, there was reason to rebel against it. But at that time, like being a progressive did feel rebellious. It did feel like you were the little guy, I guess. You know, you didn't... Uh, you know, you saw some of your ideals in the mainstream and in institutions, like... You know, the mainstream institutional world, like the commercial world, like was promoting like, oh, we need someone of every color. You know, it was promoting things like feminism, you know, like multicultural societies. Like there were a lot of mainstream progressive ideas like you can't forget that. But it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't as blatant as it is now. It wasn't as extreme as it is now. It wasn't as bizarre as it is now. And so it was easy to feel like those ideas weren't represented in the mainstream, not as heavily. And then when people became attracted to these more extreme ideas about gender, when the racial discussion took a sharp turn in another direction that felt rebellious too like i remember progressive friends the late 2000s early 2010s and they were really getting drawn into that i think in part because it was an alternative because it, it felt like a counterculture they felt like it set them apart from the commercial and institutional world but as we've seen in recent years, that stuff is the institution now. And the same things that your progressive friends say are the same things like major league sports teams tweet. Like there was one a few months ago people were making fun of because like, you know, a professional hockey team's Twitter was like, on National Trans Awareness Day, we want to acknowledge that there is evidence all throughout history that some ancient cultures had a third gender. There was, this is an actual hockey team's tweet. 
And that's uh, the same thing your progressive fr- f- friends who hate sports are saying. It's something you see on television. It's, it's something, you know, all the corporations are doing and saying. And it used to be leftism, progressivism was sort of like, you're not going to hear the corporations talk about this. You know, you're not going to see the U.S. military say this. You're not going to hear Lockheed Martin saying the things I'm saying. And then flash forward to the last few years and Lockheed Martin flies a rainbow flag, not just a rainbow flag. They they fly the latest develop the latest mishmash of ugly color flag, that thing. They fly the intersectional flag, I think is what people call it. They don't just fly the rainbow flag. Lockheed Martin doesn't just fly the rainbow flag. They fly the brown, black, white, blue, rainbow flag, that thing. The latest one. And they have to. You gotta buy a new flag every year. You gotta update your flag. You haven't updated your flag. Um, so, you know, it's interesting as like, it's interesting among leftists, you know, that their views are very much the mainstream. And many of these leftists were initially drawn in at a time when, you know, there was a stronger counterculture to what they were doing or thinking. And now that that's not the case, they're just part of the system. And I think that ultimately will push people away in the future. You know, because a lot of these people, they might, you know, I, I've, I have a friend who's a radical lib, and I, I I've heard her address the corporate aspect of this, where he's like, and what what I've seen them do, like their way of, and this is a smart person that I like and care about, but I just have differing views, and I'm allowed to mention that on here. I'm allowed to say that. Um, but this person, and I've seen other people say this, but this person that I know, a friend of mine, you know, when she sees like corporations fly the rainbow flag, she's like, well, they don't really believe it. They're not really true to it. Just because they're doing it doesn't mean like we're not still fighting the the tough, hard fight. And and I mean, and there's truth to what she's saying. Like they are, they're the opportunists. Like that's a perfect example of the opportunists that exist. Like when Lockheed Martin flies the rainbow flag, they're just an opportunist. They're like, oh, this is going to give me an advantage. This is going to benefit us. And so my friend is right that, yeah, you know, this is hollow. They're not fighting for your cause, really. But doesn't it tell you, doesn't it make you feel weird at the very least that your cause is now safe and uh, attractive? To Lockheed Martin, how does it make you feel? Like some, as someone who's prided yourself as a a rebel and something of a revolutionary, how does it feel to now have the same opinions as every major corporation? How does it feel to have the same opinions as the military? These things that you were always opposed to. 
doesn't mean you should stop believing them, but how does that make you feel? Doesn't it make you feel a little weird? Doesn't it make you look at it a little differently? Doesn't it make you feel a little differently? Not saying you should abandon your values, but doesn't it make you feel a little weird? You know, that's that's about all, all I'm trying to say here. And so people who are attracted by... Because, you know, a certain number of people, and I might be one of them, do like to feel like they're rebelling against things. They do like to feel like they're rebelling against institutions. And when the institutions are just in total agreement with you, quite suddenly, that's sort of a, I don't know, that, that could provoke a real identity crisis. And I think long-term, that'll repel people. And I think kids in particular will see that. You know, because someone who in 2005 was in support of gay marriage, you know, they might see Lockheed Martin flying the rainbow flag and be like, you know, skeptical of their intentions, but they at least remember a time when gay marriage wasn't legal and might feel like something got accomplished. They might That might still be a value to the, of theirs. But when like a kid who's being raised today just knows a world where gay marriage is already legal and they see all that shit institutionalized, they see all that shit commercialized, they feel it being forced on them, well, that's probably what they're going to rebel against especially if it's trying to make them unhappy. Because at least with the 90s variation, like the everybody would just be colorblind. Start a club. And with a black kid, an Asian kid, a kid in a wheelchair. You know what you need to do? You know, just be colorblind. Judge people by the content of their character and hang out with people of all types. Just get along. Don't think about that stuff. You know, with that, um, there was at least like a push for harmony and happiness. You know, you can make fun of it. Like we made fun of it as kids. As far back as junior high, I remember like they'd issue our math books for the year. You'd be in math class and they'd hand out the math books and you'd get one, you, you all get this book and it has like some photography on the cover of like a, a black, a black kid, a blonde kid, a red haired girl, a kid in a wheelchair, an Asian kid, like looking at a bug through a magnifying glass, frying a bug with a mag- Now they, they'd just be like investigating something on a park bench. That's how all like the covers of like a, the cover of a math book in the early 2000s, it was just like a kid of every race, a, dis- a couple disabled kids just like staring at a park bench. But we'd make fun of that. We'd, we'd, we'd notice it. And there was no intention. None of us saw that and we're like, oh, it's part of the liberal agenda. We would just make fun of it because it was fake to us. And we knew what they were trying to do. We weren't politicized, but we would see the cover of that math book and they'd be like, oh, you know, 
forced diversity. Got to have a kid of every type on the cover. Didn't bother us. We were just kind of like, oh, we know what they're trying to do. It, it was cheesy. That's all it was to us. We're like, oh, that's cheesy. That's that's unrealistic and cheesy. And kids are always going to do that. You know, there were probably adults who would see the cover of that math book and be like, oh, it's really nice that they are including everyone. It's really nice we're at a point where like the cover of a math book has a kid of every type. But to us kids, it was just, we saw it everywhere. It was like on every TV show, every commercial. It was everywhere. But, you know, the one good thing about it was that it was promoting harmony and happiness. It was this sort of utopian vision of everybody getting along and everybody doing fun, happy things. Whereas now, you know, the the way that's metastasized is something dark, miserable, angry, and violent. And harmony is not being promoted. Happiness is not being promoted. You should be miserable miserable about this. You should make other people miserable. This should be a point of contention. You should talk about this all the time. You should be careful about people who don't agree with you. You should ask for more. Oh, here's a new idea that you have to believe tomorrow. Actually, you know what? You have to believe it today. Here's a new idea you never thought of a year ago. Here's something you, you not only did you not believe it, you had never even thought of it a year ago. Well, you need to believe it today and tomorrow's too late. Like the idea of like, men are, some men are women. And they're not trans women, they're women. They're actual women. You know, that was an idea that, like, in 2010, 2011, even hardcore libs that I knew, like, they, they might have been fine with cross-dressing. They, they might have been cool with drag shows. But then they never even entertained the, the idea that, like, some men are actual women. And... They, they never even, they probably wouldn't have been able to tell you what a pronoun is, even in, in just an English sense. And as far as, you know, the English language goes, they might have struggled to define what that even is. Oh, yeah, I guess it's that thing where you say he. And then, you know, you move forward a few years and suddenly it's like, no, we all believe this and we believe it down to our very core. And if you don't believe it, you are the biggest fucking problem. And we got to do something about you. You can't talk. We can't let you talk. We can't let you do things. We've got to tell everybody about you. Oh, that thing that I, did, I had never even thought of a year ago and certainly didn't believe. Well, now it's the most important thing in the world to me. And if you don't feel the same way, well, something's got to be done. I've got to tell people about you. I've got to tell people about you. That's what, that's what happened. Very suddenly, very quickly. 
No, you gotta believe it today. Daddy, no bite. You gotta believe this today. Oh, what? You need to consider it? You need to think it through? No, you gotta believe it today. You can only do that to people so many times. But then again, you know, if you had asked me in 2014, you know, how far they would take this, I would have been like, they can't take it that much further. Like, they can't take it much further before people see it for what it is, before people crack. And so the fact that they did take it way further than I ever would have thought means that, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not Nostradamus. I don't know how far it'll go. I don't know how far it can go, because I would have thought, like certain people I know, like knowing some progressives who are intelligent, reasonable people who I respect, like there are some issues and, and some twists and turns in the road they've been on where I would have thought they would have changed route at some point, and they didn't. They just went along with it. And then, you know, and part of the believe it today thing is you have to act like you always believed it. You have to act like, oh, no, I always believed this. No, that's always been right. That's always been how it is. And then, like I mentioned earlier, the constant reminding. The constant, like, reinforcement of devotion. Devotion. That's a part of it too, where this can't, this isn't something you can simply accept and that's how it is. You know it now. You believe it now. It's something that you have to constantly devote yourself to. You have to constantly like renew your vows. You have to spread the word aggressively, audaciously, outrageously. Otherwise you're not doing your part. Not doing enough. Just agreeing, not enough. You gotta do more. I don't think people want to do much more. I don't think people want to do much more. I really don't. You know, maybe in a certain time and place, I mean, I'm surprised it's gone this far in this time and place, but maybe in a certain time and place, but I think that people are exposed to too much. I mean, someone I know who gave me shit some years back about something I said that was really innocent. It wasn't even anything incendiary that I said. It was just a very innocent observation. What I said wasn't even political. It was just something about like like a homeless camp. It was I had said uh, I went into these woods and I was trying to avoid homeless camps. Which, why wouldn't you? If you walk in the woods and you know there's homeless camps around, why wouldn't you want to avoid those? For any number of reasons. But this person gave me a bunch of shit just for saying that. I like this person. But I was like, wow. 
I want to say a bunch of shit. It wasn't that much. It was just kind of like a brief call out. Which, a brief call out is a bunch of shit. I'm not wrong. But just recently, that person like mentioned listening to a podcast that's very much uh, the opposite of that. A podcast that would be considered controversial to any radical progressive. So, I don't know. That's just another thing. These are the little things I'm noticing. These are the little things I'm noticing that are making me start to believe that something is sort of shifting. But I should go. This is about two hours long. And for me, it's like, I, I honestly, I've found joy. That's the funny thing. Is I've actually found joy in all of it. Like I've said about the movies, like, the mandatory diversity casting, you know, some of the other insane stuff that's being promoted, I find the joy in it. It's funny. It's funny what they're what they're doing. I don't like it. I don't like the culture. I don't like the the pressure. I don't like the vibe, as some would say. I'm opposed to it, really. But I found the joy and the absurdity of it. And it doesn't change me. And I kind of enjoy navigating it in my own way. Like, And by that, just disengaging. But I enjoy that, you know. I, I enjoy the absurdity. I enjoy the spectacle. Like when I was talking a lot on here about the, the Anne Boleyn movie where she's played by a black woman... I enjoy that. I didn't watch it, but I enjoy that. When I was watching some TV remake of A Christmas Carol a few years ago, and they made Bob Cratchit's wife black, like Victorian England, a period piece about the white folk of Victorian England, and they make Bob Cratchit's wife black, and have a scene where... Scrooge, I think he makes her undress. You know, Bob Cratchit's basically his slave boy. Bob Cratchit's just basically Scrooge's slave. Like he's his employee, but the whole thing's like he treats him like a slave. And so to make Bob Cratchit's wife, which I can tell you, this is not in any original telling of A Christmas Carol, but in this remake, they make... Bob Cratchit's wife black and they have a scene where Scrooge sexually harasses her like he makes her come in the room and undress something like that and I was like oh they're really laying it on this is funny they ruined A Christmas Carol by doing this I can't watch this you know I love A Christmas Carol I saw a live performance of it as a kid I love I love Mickey's Christmas Carol that was my favorite but I just love that story. I've always been a Christmas Carol fan. I've always been a fan of Jacob Marley in particular. The character Jacob Marley was always my favorite. Can't tell you why, but he is. But I, when I was watching that show, I was like, oh, I can, I can no longer enjoy this as a Christmas Carol, but I can enjoy the spectacle that they did this. 
they had to do that you know I, what a what a what a joyous spectacle this is because the truth is I don't need a new Christmas Carol like when they make a new Christmas Carol in 2020 2021 like I don't actually need a new one in my life so when they make one like this oh great it's stupid but you know what stupid things are funny stupid things are entertaining it sucks for the culture that this is what they have to do but hey you know might as well enjoy the spectacle so this in summary before i pass out you know either way is fine with me really like i'm gonna be me no matter what so if people loosen up a little bit people loosen up again that's great I hope things loosen up a little bit. Be nice if they did. But if they don't, if things just keep going down this twisted path they've been on, that's fine too. That's fine too. That's fine tuned. That's fine too. Because I enjoy the spectacle of it. it. It brings me joy too. I like absurd things. I like to see what life does. But I'm not going to think about it much. I'm just going to kind of see, watch as this year develops. And, you know, a big factor, too, will be the erection. You know, a big factor, too, will be Trumpsfeld. Because what really propelled people even further in that direction was the hysteria towards Trumpsfeld, of course. That, you know, gave people this solidarity and made them easily manipulated they were easily manipulated into believing things that they otherwise wouldn't even entertain but it was as part of this coalition against evil their perceived evil that was taking over and so you know this unity based on opposition Although it's not that simple, because Trumpsfeld was also opposition to that. One of the reasons Trumpsfeld unified the people he did is because they themselves were opposed to the same people who were opposing Trumpsfeld. So it's kind of this like crisscross, like you can't get to the bottom of it. It's Buddhist cosmology. You know, there's no single point of origin because it's all different elements influencing the movement of each other. There's no original spark, basically, in Buddhist cosmology. Everything is being impacted by everything else, or every single thing is impacted by something else, and the thing that's impacting that is impacted by something else. So you can't pinpoint any one single cause or any one single effect because every single cause you know, is also an effect and everything, every single effect is also a cause. And there's no one beginning if every movement is dictated by the movement of something else. That's what we've seen in politics. Um, but anyway, as uh, you know, the erection nears, 
who knows what we'll see because hysteria is is what essentially created this mess and we're bound to see hysteria of some kind one way or the other but if there's a growing trend of looseness if people get a little bit looser and they stay looser it's going to be different one way or the other it's going to be different So that could change the trajectory of the hysteria. Because many people are tired of being hysterical. You know, a crying baby eventually falls asleep. And I think that's a better comparison to what we're probably going to see here. Where the, the hysteria of recent years eventually just tires people out and I think many people are already tired this land is mine God gave this land to me this brave this golden land to me and when the morning sun reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free Yeah.